This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Hey everybody, welcome to another Forever Mighty Post Game Show. It's uh, Pete Davidson along with Patrick on the mics tonight. <laughs> How's it going, man? Ducks lose the game 5-4, but uh, holy hell, first and third period were pretty great. Yeah, no, that game, that game uh, it started out all right, and then it got really bad, and I think we were all pretty prepared to just turn it off, and then it kind of redeemed itself, so I'll take it. Yeah. Let's just spend Five the next 30 minutes talking about Trevor Zegers' Michigan attempt. I think that's... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Just talk about confidence. We'll just make the whole show about confidence, because a couple yeah. of guys showed that all night. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I it was crazy to see it. You know, I I don't know that I've ever actually watched a game live where somebody really went for it. Um, so it was kind of fun to watch develop and kind of right when he started skating and you realize what he was going to do, you kind of start to get that excitement, which was nice. I haven't felt that in a Ducks game in a while. Well, can we talk about the bigger thing that happened too, though, is your boy got a hat trick. I know I hadn't oh, mentioned it on purpose because I thought you were going to drown me here and like try to strangle me no. through the mics because I know you love Lundy. <laughs> And Lundy had a hattie tonight, dude. And even though they lost, what a hell of a game from Lundestrom, man. Yeah, you know, it's crazy, too, because I was thinking about it. And it's like he kind of scored a goal kind of every way, right? He had a tip. He had a little wraparound. And then he just had a perfect snipe. And it was, I think for me, the the wraparound and the tip, you know, you can those are the kinds of goals that come from just hard work. But that shot coming down that wing, that is the result of skill. And just to perfectly beat him uh, across cage like that was just gorgeous. Um, so it, it was just great. He's He's been really playing a lot better lately. He's been rolling. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, the number of chances he's kind of gotten robbed on. And to see him kind of cash in on everything tonight was just great to see. Mark andre Fleury has his number. We know that for sure. <laughs> yeah i think that's who uh, lundy sees in his nightmares that's unbelievable the save that he had uh, we didn't do a show for vegas but i mean lundstrom literally had just the every opportunity to win that game and, and of course mark andre Fleury is having some sort of resurgence of year this year um now that he took the saber out of his chest he's able to actually play hockey now so he's good <laughs> now now he's back playing good hockey again but Lundy, man, um, the kids are doing all right. That's, I guess, what we could talk about here. I think uh, a season that's been in, as hard to watch as they've come, right? I mean, two seasons ago was maybe the worst where we had the like the just the awful – I don't even want to remember how many games in a row um, mm-hmm. that the guys 
lost and we had to come on and do podcasts and <laughs> you're just like night and night again. This is bad. But uh, I don't know. I think you see a lot of positives here. I like I like Jones's game. Uh, obviously, Comtois has been playing well. I think the broadcast said he had 10 points in his last 11 games. Lundestrom had the hat trick. Zegris is just so close to scoring. Um, and mm-hmm. he's really controlled the power play tonight, too. So, I mean, up and down the lineup, the kids are playing great. Really, really playing great. They just need some of these other old guys to start scoring goals. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the the roster's in transition, but I think, you know, everything you said is nice, right? We're seeing Jones kind of, his game rounds out. It seems to be the more he plays with Getzloff, the more comfortable he gets, the better he's playing, whether that's with Comtois or uh, tonight, I think Milano was up on that line with them. Like, really, it doesn't seem to matter who it is. It seems that Jones has managed to carve out a niche for himself as kind of that attacking forward. Uh, on Getsy's wing, which is great. He's got that nastiness has come out a lot, which we you and I both mm-hmm. love. So Yeah. No, he's he's got an he's got a real good physical side to him, but you know, I think the thing about it that's nice to see is he doesn't ever really try to he doesn't seem to take himself out of plays trying to throw hits. He just seems to, you know, find his spots and just hit with everything he's got in those moments. Um you know, I think it's a, a little frustrating, you know, that Terry and Heinen kind of aren't in the oh, mix right now. Just I was going to try to get you to the lineup because I know that was going to be a fun topic for you. Yeah, I just, <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, the Sam Steele on the fourth line thing. I, I, I don't know how you want to <laughs> roll through this, but, you know, it's just one of those. Things. I don't mind Sam Steele being on the fourth line. Um, you know, if that's what Aiken, you know, like, let me say it this way. If a coach thinks that the best thing for a young kid is to drop him down the lineup, you know, maybe kind of send a little bit of a message, get him to kind of focus on the simple stuff. I don't, that stuff doesn't bother me. I don't, you know, I don't freak out about that kind of stuff, but if you're going to put a player like Sam Steele on the fourth line, putting him out there with Delorier and Grant is just stupid and wasteful. Like you have <laughs> scratch two wingers that can perfectly compliment him, give you a fourth line with a little bit different dimension, if not an entirely different dimension than what we're used to. Um, you know, well, the Blues I, are a big team, put- Stephen, and you got to put the big guys in the lineup to protect the young players. And you know that's kind of where the coach's mind always goes. Plus, everyone likes Steele, yeah. and, and he's chipped in here and there. But Grant's just been, wow, I mean, like a shade above horrible almost every single night. He hasn't been good. So it is pretty disappointing to see a kid get get stuck down there. Like, would you have been happier if it was Henrik? Because, I, I mean, <laughs> at this I, point, I wouldn't honest, be surprised. Like, I <laughs> I honestly, it's a single game. I don't think it bothers me either way. It didn't bother me last game when Henrik was put on the fourth line, you know, and it didn't bother me tonight that Steele was on the fourth end. Like I said, like I think, you know, I, I, I think sometimes it's hard to differentiate between micro and macro as far as what matters and what doesn't. You know, there are little things here and there that matter, but like a young player getting one game on the fourth line, like who cares? Like it's not... Yep. You know, if he spends the next 20 games on the fourth line, there's a conversation, right? Or even five games, six games. Like, what are we doing here? It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, but I don't mind it for a game. Now, if it does seem like he's going to get stuck down there, then you need to either maximize the lineup and put him in a position to succeed from the fourth line, or you got to send him back down or sit him out or something like that. Because, you know, it's hard right now to think that Lundestrom and Getzloff are coming out of the lineup. They're 
they've probably been the two best centers on the team right now, which isn't necessarily saying a lot, but they've been consistent. They're doing kind of what you're expecting and wanting them to do. And so after that, you've got, you know, three, four guys for two spots. You got Steele, Henry, Grant, Bacchus, um, you know, and how you want to use those guys. And if Henrique is working his way back into that kind of middle middle six role, you know, I think then maybe sitting Steele is not the worst thing. No. Uh, it's just kind of the way the lineup changes night in to night out is kind of strange. I feel like it's mm-hmm. a lot of line juggling. And I think we've moved past the point because we're almost at the midway point of the season. It's – at least I mean, are we? It feels like we are. We're close to – because <laughs> it's not 82 games, 56 games. We're damn close. Um yeah, we're past the point where we have to look at this and be like, you said we were going to be competitive. What the hell are we doing? We're not competitive. We know that's not happening. So now we have all these articles coming out right now saying the players are going to be traded. The Ducks are going to be looking to move a lot of players. A lot of veteran names have popped up for Kel Henrique. Um, I think Silverberg was in that conversation, too, and I was looking online today. We can get to those later, but I guess my point is we've got to stop getting so angry about these games. Us included, because we have our moments. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And just, like, we we have to know the last three years have just been pure shit. Just the way it is. But mm-hmm. you have, a, like, a, a really good way to look at this. Is This is a whole building process. I mean, I'm not so, I'm not so upset anymore. I just want them to commit to the tank. Because <laughs> if we're going to burn it down, I I want to see those big bigger name players that are here. I mean, those are big names for Anaheim. Those are our... our our long stay core guys that are being bounced around in the trade room or mill, get them out, make room for the kids to come up, get picks, rebuild, do it. Then I'm excited about this team again. And I don't really care if we lose. I just want to see progression. Is that kind of where you're at with this team? I mean, it's, it's okay to poke a little bit of holes here and there in the lineup and like go, what the hell? But if that, if that's the end goal is just to get to the next, you know, era, then I'm fine with it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it's, it's kind of walking a little bit of a fine line, right? Because at a certain point, right, you want to, you do want to look at the little things and the smaller details and see kind of what you can learn here and there. But like you said perfectly, like the end of the day, like this is the third year of, at least for a lot of us fans, understanding what this team is, right? Whether or not we, we don't have to talk about the organization or whatever, but I think as fans, we've kind of understood what this team was after they got, you know, uh, ragdolled by Vegas in the first round. Um, you know, so we're, we're starting to see, um, you know, a little bit more of these kids kind of coming on. Lundestrom's developing, you know, Terry had his flashes earlier. Comtois looks good. Jones looks good. Steele, you know, Steele and Terry at this point, I, I think is surprising is that they're kind of the two that there seem to be the most question marks about at this yep. point, given coming into this season, they would have been two that we would have felt the most confident in. Um, you know, so I think there's questions about that kind of stuff, but as far as, you know, on a, the, the ups and downs emotionally, like you're right, you got to kind of try to level yourself out a little bit, give yourself room to breathe. You know, these games aren't always going to be pretty and a lot they're of them mostly going to be bad. Like, yeah, a lot of time. The sad part is when you see teams that get, like you know, a Ducks team, a few nights ago that is, is not playing hockey. You know what I mean? Well, there's, the second there's just tonight, not like playing great. Tonight was really bad in the second period. Yeah. Um, I just trying to, to just to, to pull the positives out of all this stuff. Um, I mean, going forward here, that's where my, my mindset is, is what can we pick apart yeah, here on absolutely. this team to look at? But, so, uh, but I want to get to the point that you made a minute ago about Steele and Terry, because those were guys that uh, I've given a lot of shit to. 
um, especially Troy Terry. I know you like him, and I, you know, we've teased back and forth on our chat and all that. But oh yeah, do you really think that he's a top six forward, or you think his ceiling right here? Do you think we're seeing any sort of ceiling? He's still young as shit. I'm not trying to say that he has never room to get better. Yeah, no. But is that is that a thing that you think that we've seen the most he can give, or is it just like a it's a lineup issue here? He's just not playing with the right guys, or what's your feelings on Troy Terry, honestly? I think with Troy Terry, I think um, I would say that what I think maybe his ceiling is has come down a little bit, but I think he's still kind of the guy I was hoping he could be, which is a complimentary middle six, top nine, depending on how you want to look at it forward, right? Like, I don't think he's going to drive a line on his own. I don't think he's going to get to 30 goals or 40, you know, or, you know, 50, 60 points. But I, I think if he can kind of you know, maybe not defensively, but be a little bit more creative version of kind of what Silverberg is where you're like, all right, we're going to get about 15 to 20 goals a year. You know, we're hopefully going to get about an extra 20 assists on top of that. So you're looking at about a 40 point player who you can trust to be out there in big moments. Like, I think that's perfectly fine. Um, I think there are a lot of questions about, like you said, where he's being used in the lineup and how that's affecting his play what's going on with the team as a whole as far as like tactically like you know it's getting harder and harder to look at Dallas Akins and say that he's the guy going forward just because like tonight you know when when the team fell apart it just looked you know it looked like structural problems guys weren't in any spots where they weren't trying to be they didn't seem to know where they were supposed to be going as far as trying to limit chances um and so I think for some of these kids, it's a little hard to know what they are, but I do think we are seeing the ceiling come down to earth a little bit. It's hard to kind of wash out, though. This is a one-off season every season for the younger guys who played a couple who played more than one. We want to see some sort of improvement, so it's kind of a bummer. I don't think it's I don't think it's a, a final nail in anybody's career as to what they're going to be on based on this Anaheim team. I'm not concerned about that at all. But I wouldn't be upset to see a piece or two moved to bring in somebody else or bring in picks just to kind of mix it up a bit. Um, I got to ask you about Danton Heinen. Do you have any theories to what the hell's going on? Like, why is he consistently not in this lineup with how much production he seems to be around? Yeah, he doesn't score a ton, but that's not what he was brought here to do. He's kind of like that sneaky good defensive forward, right? I mean, that's he's supposed to play more of a two-way mm-hmm. game. Kind of strange to not see him in the lineup a bunch. I almost wonder if it's more of a, um, a personality thing or whatever you want to call it, something that we're not seeing. Yeah, I, you know, I... Because to make the lineups the way that, I mean, to put Grant in, like, Grant is bad visibly and analytically. It's not like he's, he looks good, and then analytically he's trash. Like, he just doesn't look good. But they're purposely putting a a kid and scratching him. Yeah, I mean, I I think part of the problem is, is that this year the Ducks have, you know... 15 forwards that they could play any given night. And I don't know that a lot of us think the results are going to be wildly different, you know, Um, because you can pretty much put together just with forwards, five lines, you know? And so I just think there are going to be guys on the outside. I think Milano came back and he, you know, the team kind of wanted to give him a look and see how he was doing. He looked great tonight, to be honest. You know, I thought a little bit on the power play, it would have been nice to see him pinch down from that left point. Um, you know, it looked like Zegers was kind of looking for him there, but you know, I, I think it's a little bit too many numbers, which I think highlights some of, you know, not to get into this whole thing again, but like, I do think it highlights just how, uh, congested the forward group is. 
And, you know, it, it does need to start moving some of these guys out. And I think all of us or a lot of us would want to be the older guys uh, because the draft capital and the prospects and things like that. But, you know, there's a chance we heard Heinen's name in rumors right now, you know, so there's always a chance that some of these younger guys can get, you know, if Steele or Terry doesn't seem if the team doesn't feel like they're cooking, you know, then maybe they move them out while they're still early before they've tanked any uh, kind of reputation or, or, or upside that they have as far as around the league. I don't know. Uh, but I, I do think it's a numbers game. Just too many guys, not enough seats. Because that could possibly yeah, be a really, two for sure. Yeah. I, I But, you know, I think the... the like I was saying, though, like my the, problem with it, though, is to play a guy like Grant over a guy we know who can play the game, which is my problem. Like, we know yeah, Danton Heine so, can play. We've seen him be a productive player on the ice. So, just to see him scratch, I don't want to spend a ton of time on that. I just... I'm like, well, I just don't understand some of the lineup issues. We've had we've had problems with, with Aikens for a while now with these. It's not like it's something new, but yeah. kind of curious. And now we see him pop up in trade rumors. That's why I was like, eh, maybe it's not just a numbers game. Maybe there's something going on with that guy. Yeah, I you know I think also it's it's a salary thing. It's an age thing. He's going to be RFA at the end of this deal. You know, you know, it's just I think there are a couple of different things about Heinen that make him an attractive trade piece. And I think of all the young players, with maybe the exception of Milano, you know, he, you kind of there's less risk in moving on from them. Um, if for no other reason than they weren't drafted by the organization, and that's a terrible way to think of it, but that's how a lot of times organizations think about it. You know, I mean, at this point, if you, you say the bottom, you know, the fourth line is set with some combination of those four guys we've talked about. You've got Raquel Silverberg and Getzloff. What do you think, like which kids do you think at this point deserve to be in the lineup every night? Hmm. I mean, obviously, I think that uh, Zegers is getting his time right now. He's not going to be here the whole season. I don't think. I mean, there's no way they keep him up the whole the whole season. But I definitely think Jones deserves to be up. Um, Lundestrom obviously deserves to be up. He's played well. <sighs> Mahura should be up more than he is. I feel like there's mm-hmm. definitely a place for him in the lineup. But other than those guys. I don't really see somebody where I'm like, oh, he has to be in the lineup every night. Got to be in the lineup every night. And I know people say that Troy Terry's a power play guy. Well, yeah, we don't need him to be a power play guy. We need him to be an effective four to five on five and score goals too. Uh, we have other guys who can be an effective power play guy who don't score. We have a plenty. We have plenty of them. <laughs> Just those are the those are the guys though. Other than that, I mean, maybe Milano. Milano has chances where I see him in and out of the lineup like that, where I'm like, hey, he should be in the lineup mm-hmm. more. But I don't know if he's necessarily one of the kids to say. And then Comtois, obviously. So yeah. those are those are my guys. Yeah, no, I think you know I'm pretty much right in locks up with you. You know, I think at this point it's hard to say that if you're just going by hands, you know, the left side of the defense should probably just be Fowler, Lindholm, and Mahura. Period. Like I have a hard time thinking those just aren't the guys that should be on the left side every night. Um, you know, and you know, to be honest, I think Mahura and Shattenkirk have looked really good together which is intriguing um, because if Lindholm comes back and Manson comes back, maybe you think about putting that pair back together and letting Mahura and Shattenkirk stay together. You know, I don't know. It seems like they really want to try to find a a balance between uh, offensive and defensive defensemen when they're putting these pairs together. But I don't think any of us think of Mahura as a shutdown guy, and we know Shattenkirk isn't, and they seem to have played well together. 
So, I, I would just like to see more production out of Shattenkirk. I mean, that's I think that's yeah. what we were all clamoring for here. It's like we've been trying to sign this guy. He finally comes there and he hasn't been great. But yeah, he has looked better. He's looked way better away from Cam Fowler than he has with Cam Fowler. That's for damn sure. And speaking of Lindholm, Lindholm is close to coming back. There was a, there was like a, a little sniff of going around online. There was a possibility of him playing tonight, but he ends up not playing. So we know that uh, Lindholm's close. Manson's got to be pretty close, I would think, by now, too. But uh, Didn't Lindholm play close. last game? Did he play last game? I think Lindholm played last game Damn because it. was a healthy scratch. You're probably right. I don't remember. And so That game, yeah. I, that was one of the few games I did not watch. So please yeah. correct me. But no, but <laughs> you're, that's that's absolutely right. You know, and I know Manson. Uh, yes, he did play Chad. Before the Arizona trip, there was, uh, what do you call it? There was talk that he might have been making the trip to Arizona. I know he's skating. Uh-huh. I just don't know if he's playing. He's not, I don't know how close yeah. he is to playing. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it, w- moving ahead to to uh, to Wednesday's game against the Blues, right? Do, do you see a massive lineup change coming, or do you see this is kind of going to be they're going to stick around? That second period was pretty bad. I know we talked a lot about the kids in this game. We didn't we did break it down period by period like we do some nights, but it's more of a fun free flow when you have a lot of good things to talk about, even though there's a loss. But that second period, man, <laughs> I don't know what the hell happened. To where that team just didn't look good. I wonder if that's going to cause some sort of shakeup of the lineup. So it's that's what I was thinking about when you asked that question right now, right? Because like on one hand, you can say, "Well, look, they they came back in the third period. They came back strong. They managed to kind of pull themselves out of that hole. They started to play good hockey, and you know, uh, started to kind of take it to the Blues a little bit better." By the same fact that that happened, and they had to do all of that in response to a just awful second period. So. You know, I think maybe it'll depend on however practice goes tomorrow, but I have to think we see at least one or two guys moved around a little bit just to, you know, kind of, if nothing else, send a message about complacency and, you know, standards and all that kind of crap. I, you know, I think if the second period had been closer, I think we're talking about the lineup probably staying the same and Aikens feeling like the guys earned the uh, opportunity to redeem themselves. But that's what the third period was, was them kind of, trying to not look like they were didn't even belong on the same ice as the Blues. It was pretty bad. Those two goals in 13 seconds in the second period were oh. like, ugh. <laughs> it was bad enough being 2-1, but to have them go down 4-1 in less than 15 seconds was rough. That was really, really rough. But then they came back in the third, like you said. So I think there's there's uh, some hope for, uh, for Wednesday's game. I think the Ducks have a good chance as long as they are, you know, compete the way they did in the third period or in the first period. Not bad. I mean, they had a great game against Vegas and just happened to lose. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Mark yeah. Andre Fleury. <laughs> so you they, know, they know how to play better hockey. We just need to see it on a consistent basis. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, is I, and I don't know if this is a confidence thing or what, but I, I, it feels like, you know, even when they're playing poorly, if they're on their front foot, you know what I mean? If they're kind of trying to be attacking and aggressive, their mistakes – seem to be farther up ice they seem to be less um costly whereas like in the second period tonight it felt like they were all on their back like on their heels they were all flat-footed and you know that's when the talent disparity really shows itself between the ducks and the the top end of the uh, the division you know you can't be flat-footed and and you know energy and emotionless when you're playing 
Colorado or St. Louis or Vegas. Um, it just, you, you're just not going to give yourself an opportunity. And, you know, so I think to a certain degree, you know, a lot of it is just how much are they going to be willing to just lean into it? And it's hard to know how much of that is coming from coaching. Do, you I mean, know, I don't, do you think a lot of it is, or do you think maybe it's upper management? That's a question I, I, I haven't asked you that I think is great at this point in the season. Is Aikens really the guy, or is it is it above him that's that's causing the ruckus? It's got to be part of Aikens, so, for sure. He has some say. 100% yeah. On what it goes I, I think he has been put in a rough situation, but I think the best way to say it is, is I don't feel like Aikens has had these guys playing above their potential at any point during the season. Uh, and that for me is the sign of coaching because, you know, that, that for me is the kind of thing that I feel like can easily be used as a barometer for coaching is when you start to see consistently an entire team play above their head. Uh, I still know, think it's Daryl Sutter as a shill for the Kings. That's uh, <laughs> he's, you know, somehow got Akins to want him in, you know, in the building and want to have him as an advisor type. <laughs> And that you talk about ultimate grit, awful hockey. That won games back in the day. That's <laughs> I. I still don't entirely believe that Aikens went to Murray and said, "I would really love it if this guy was looking over my shoulder my entire time <laughs> here." And I just that for me is one of those like dumb, pointless conspiracies that I love because like, I just can't imagine this dude finally gets his second shot to coach in the league. And he's like, Oh, what if this guy who won two cups up the road is just looking over my shoulder the entire time? You know, the first thing I want when I come to a a new job is to have a babysitter my first year. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That's big. That's important. You want to make sure they know that they're on your ass the whole time. It's so interesting that that's the way that went. It was such a such a weird thing when that was announced too. It's so wild to me. That's why I kind of wouldn't. I would. I wouldn't even flinch if it did come out that it was like, no, nah, this was a Murray initiative. He didn't trust Eakins. Oh, yeah. In fact, he didn't want Dallas to be up here. He wanted somebody oh, else. I'm a hundred percent sure that's true. <laughs> he doesn't want a players coach. He's like, I, I need. I want someone up here to to whoop ass. I don't want somebody up here being nice to guys. Like I could totally see it gone that way for sure. Not oh, saying yeah. it did, but no, 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 for sure. I I think. Uh... It's hard to look at the way it ended with Bruce versus the way it ended the second time with Randy and not feel like Murray kind of Bruce ruined whatever appetite he had for a softer coach. <laughs> and, Can't win at home. Can't win a game seven. <laughs> Dude, like, man, it's just, it's insane. I, I don't know, man. I, I mean, where are you on that? Are you, how much of it do you think is on Eakins? I, th- I think a lot of it is. Uh, I would probably say it's like 70-30. I, I, I want to feel it this 70? point. Yeah, I think it's 70-30 or 60-40. Ah, okay. it's, it's, I would lean towards 70. I think this is a this is a coach making a lot of decisions. Um, I have to think that Bob has to give him a lot of leash here. 
it, this this team was not constructed to be. I don't care what Bob Murray was was uh, saying. He was definitely smoking something or drinking when he said <laughs> we're here to compete this year. Like, there's just no way he looked at this roster construction and was like, I could definitely see a 35 goal score. I could definitely see us, you know, getting into the playoffs and you know making a run. And there's just no way you look at this lineup and go, that's what this is. Like across the league, the teams that are good, we just don't have those pieces. You just don't. Right. So for him to say that, I mean, I guess maybe that was his way to like get the fans excited, you know, about what's coming up. And maybe he was just pumped off off Drysdale and Zagers, you know, coming into the organization. And I don't know. But I, I just have to feel that that was a, uh, a marketing ploy more than anything. Because there's no way he looks at this team and he's like, Dallas has a great chance. Like, I don't think Dallas Eakins is going to get fired at all this season whatsoever. You can't fire the guy. It's impossible. Not in season, no. No way, but how are you even going to fire him this... after? He's, you don't think he's going to get re-signed? I totally think he's going to get re-signed. What is contract? I don't know. How long is his contract? I should know this, but I, I don't. He's probably got an extra year on it. He, I think it was a three-year deal. Okay. I thought that it was three years, sense. too. So, that, yeah, that would make sense. I, I Honestly, for me, I think if a new GM comes in, he's probably gone. Mm, so That does happen I, a lot. I, I think a lot of this is tied for good and bad to Murray. Um, you know, I think if Murray is still here, uh, come the start of next season, then I think Aikens is still here come the start of next season. Do you really think if Murray's, Murray's... Gonna be here though? Oh God, dude, I don't. Let's know. get to that. I... Ducks, Ducks lost five four. We don't have to go back to the game. We talked about the game. Let's get to the, let's get to the fun stuff. Do you really think Bob Murray's going to be here after the expansion draft? I let me say this. If he's gone, he needs to be gone before the expansion draft. Ooh. I've been beating that drum the entire okay. time. You, do you really think the Sam Willies do that to GM. They have to. Here's the thing. I I don't understand how if you're going to bring in someone new, you don't give them every opportunity to start making things happen. And the expansion draft is going to be the first real chance, especially with it seeming like they're going to push the entry draft to next year. There's not going to be another opportunity behind, beyond the expansion draft for him to get a little bit interesting. So, um, you know, I, I just think if the Samuelis need to have their mind made up by the day after season's end, because within that first week of this season ending, they need to know whether or not Murray is sticking around. And if he's not, that they need to get him out of there as mm. fast as possible. Do I think it's going to happen? I don't. I think we're starting to see the kind of media attention nationally and locally that can kind of start to build that up. But I, I think Murray, has, he's so ingrained in the organization at every level that I, I don't know what it'll take for the Samuelis to get him out. I... I would agree with you though. Like, but if they if they get rid of Murray, it's got to be at the end of the season. He's not going anywhere in the middle of the season. It's just not happening. This team is not. This is not in the situation. Like, there's been so much outrage online of like f Murray, get rid of Bob Murray, get rid of Aiken, all this stuff. It's just people need to calm down a little bit about that because it's never going to happen. This it wasn't like this roster was built to win and they're, f- they're just completely falling apart. <laughs> right. It's not like they have 
like that the Tampa Bay Lightning and their seven game losing streak and they're at the bottom of the division and they're the bottom of the conference. Like that's just not happening. You don't fire your GM and a coach in a season like this. That, that's that's totally out of, out of character for for an NHL organization, uh, unless you're the Montreal Canadiens. And then um, you, you go, you're going to have to ride this out. But I agree. If you are going to make a GM change at this point, you need to get rid of your coach too. Because you need to start the expansion draft with fresh minds, fresh people coming in making decisions for their team. Because this roster construction coming up is going to be huge. The Ducks are at that pivotal point with the young guys coming in and the old guys on their way out. Mm-hmm. You have to give the reins over. So I want to touch on that. Jake Vertanen might be an Anaheim Duck. Or Vertanen. How do you say his name? Vertanen, Vertanen? Probably Vertanen. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> it's Vertanen. Um, I remember. Yeah, it's Vertanen. I'll say it both ways. If he ever, if he joins the team, we all know I'll say it in both ways. This is this is just really disturbing news if he actually is a guy that comes to Anaheim and if it is for Danton Heinen. <laughs> yeah, so I think that for me more than anything – and the Vertanen thing is the key is what is the context, right? Because if it's like a straight swap of like him for Heinen, then that's a steal, right? We completely got hosed in that trade. Heinen is just a better player. If part of that deal gets Henrique out the door in some way, then I, I don't care. I'll take Louis Erickson back. I, I really don't care. <laughs> um, I, you know, there are like literally Louis's not a bad player. He's not a bad player, uh, but he makes more. He costs more money, and he's less useful than them. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, dude, I was talking about this before. Like, I think you know, I would trade Henrique for Ocposo right now. Like, I, you know, just get him out, get him out of the door. Um, it's that contract. It's not him as a player. It's, it's just, the, yeah, it's just a stupid ass contract he got signed. It's just such a bad contract. But I, you know. I don't think there's really any situation that Bertanen comes in and changes anything, um, you know, unless all of a sudden he turns into a 30-goal scorer. But I don't think he's hit – I was looking at his numbers the other day. I don't think he's hit 20 yet once in a season. I think his high is around, like, 18. And if that's the case, then what's the point? You well, know, you're, you're getting roasted in the chat right now for uh, – they said, like, don't let, Ste- don't let Stefan be GM. Uh, and someone's making fun of me because uh, the way I said <laughs> Vertanen instead of Vertanen because I'm a moron. <laughs> Even though I knew it and I said it wrong anyway. <laughs> I just don't – I don't see how that trade makes any sense unless you're moving out of bigger, the bigger contract. Right? You got to take – you got to take a pile of crap to come back if you're going to have to give somebody that. Then you got to sweeten it if you're going to get the lesser mm-hmm. of the pile of crap on the way back. Yep. So – and by that, I don't mean the players. I mean, the contracts. The Ducks need to get money out of here. Um, but interestingly enough, those other fours, we talked about Henrique, Heinen, Silverberg, Raquel. Who do you think goes first? Obviously, the easiest Raquel. move is Raquel. That's the easiest guy to move. Yeah. But maybe the hardest. Easiest contract-wise, he fits everywhere. But maybe the hardest for value back. Like, what kind of value do you think a Ricard Raquel gets right now? He's... Not playing terrible hockey. He's having some of the worst luck of his career this season, too, which is also very disappointing for him and for us and for the, maybe the return. Yeah, I think 
so this this is one of those things I've been thinking a little bit about, right? Because it's one of it's it's interesting when you talk about trade value because so much of it is contextual and so much of it is perception and things like that, right? We can all say Raquel is not having a bad year; he's having an unlucky and unproductive year. But there is significant reason to believe if you put him into a better lineup, surrounded by better talent, and probably an NHL system, uh, he might be able to start producing again. And if that's the case, then you've got to kind of hold the line on the value, right? You've got to say, look, I don't think we're getting the most out of him here for a number of reasons, but we know that you guys are going to be able to do it. So I think you're looking for a, a, a late pick and a above average prospect. I, you know, Tyler Toffoli got, what was it, uh, the Madden kid, I think, Tyler Madden, and uh, a first-round pick. Why does it feel like the Ducks never get – they can never extract that kind of value out of a trade or out of, like, a contract? It just – I always feel it just doesn't Because they've happen. never been sellers. That's the thing. True. Very that good point. That Toffoli thing last year was a total sell. It was, this guy doesn't do us. He's a UFA. We're not going to lose him for nothing. Let's ship him up. Let's see what we can get. And then what did they do is they went out it, – it's predatory. It's perfect. They went out and find it, found a team that was performing a little bit above expectation with a GM who had kind of put those expectations on them, right? Uh, Like internal expectations versus external expectations. I don't think anybody expected them to be as competitive last year as they were, even with the JT Miller trade. I think that's why a lot of people were questioning the JT Miller trade, but they made it. And then, you know, they were playing a little bit better than people expected. And the coach, the GM has been selling them on, being competitive for a while so what he did is he went out and got a play and it, it's just it's it's predatory and it's perfect that's what you need to be doing you need to be going out in in finding teams you know that are in a position to where maybe they'll overpay a little bit the problem with that is is it feels like anaheim is the team that is going to get the phone call for selling at the bottom of the value and, like, I, I try not to worry too, too much about selling at worst value or sub value or what, you know what I mean? Like, because that stuff fluctuates in context. Yep. But I think at the end of the day, like, if, if you're going to move out of Raquel and you don't get a first-round pick, that's a fail. Unless you're getting a... The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Lock top six prospect. Which they they should probably be trying to do anyway. They should be trying to get bold. Yeah, you should you should be able to pull something off where you're able to get a second line guy. Yeah, you should be able to get that in the pick, hundred mm-hmm. percent. With Ricardo Raquel's contract as the extra year, like that is so valuable. That is incredibly yep. valuable in this that league. It's kind of awesome. the way it is. And then you see the article float around today that said uh, they wouldn't be surprised if the deadline's quiet. And I'm like, well, let's hope that we're the only team that's noisy then, because if we go through another deadline. Because Murray doesn't do what doesn't usually isn't he usually quiet on the deadline or is he sometimes, sometimes we do like some random like low key deals, but nothing major from Murray. I can't he's, think of yeah, he does a lot of little stuff 
you know what I mean? Last year, I think he made like 10 or 12 trades or something ridiculous. But, yeah. you know, only a couple of them were of significant Well, that's, what I, that's what I meant. Like, he does trade, but it's another, it's nothing any, that you would look at and be like, oh, this is exciting. He, he usually saves that stuff for the draft, right? That's usually where a lot of, you know, a lot of GMs make their big moves anyway, unless you're a guy making a deep run in the playoffs and you want to go get a winger to, to help you out. Um, so if you were to trade Ricard Raquel, it's been mentioned in chat, it's been mentioned outside of, you know, on Twitter, to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Who's your top six guy or who's your forward or player you would want back if you're trading to Toronto? Because they have all the offense in the world. You know? <laughs> so what would make sense for them? You know what's funny is for me is I would almost ask for Lilligren, mm. who's a defenseman. Interesting, I think but they need defense. I think they would actually give him up. Probably not. But I mean, that, I, also I think Frederick Anderson that, has faced the most high danger shots in the league, <laughs> or like yeah, top three, <laughs> right? But I also don't know that you know there isn't something to be said of just getting better at what you're great at, right? If if you're that team and you're like, look, it doesn't seem to matter who we bring in on the back end, we can't shut anybody down. So let's just win these games eight seven. Like, yeah, go out and you know get another top six goal scorer. You know, I, I have a little bit of, you know, I've had my knocks against Raquel, but I think he's undoubtedly a top six goal scorer. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, He'd I know be a lot way of better suited on a team that's not relying on him to score all the goals. Like if he goes to Toronto, I mean, he would just that's slide exactly in that lineup right. and he'd probably put up like 15 to 20 goals the rest of the season. I yeah. can see that probably 15 goals. Yeah. You could put him next to, you know, Tavares and Nylander on that second line. Oh, darn. And you're set. <laughs> You're, that's it, right? So then you can keep that top line that they have of uh, Matthews, Marner, and Thornton. And <laughs> like, okay, yeah, the worst guy in our top six is Joe Thornton at 700 years old. What <laughs> are two we two robotic do? knees? Yeah, you know, it's. But that's that's the kind of stuff that I think they should be trying to do. A Lilligren, I know uh, Eddie's. I think high on Nick Robertson. Uh, I think that kid's supposed to have some really good upside. Um, I know we needed Eddie for this show because Eddie likes to talk about a lot of picks and prospects. But for those of you wondering where Ed is, Ed is moving out of his dungeon. He 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 fled the prison he was in, uh, <laughs> and now he has he has his own place, his, his room. He's going to have a light. The, he was awarded a light. So uh, the next podcast he's on, he's going to he's going to be so pissed. I'm talking about him like this, but yeah, he'll have a light in his room so you can see him again. He won't be hidden in the dark under the stairwell or anywhere where he gets punished all the time. He got he got free of that. He broke free. So, but he's the guy that talks picks and prospects like better than anybody I know. So he would he would definitely have a lot more to fill in on that. Um, yeah. And now the I think the the curious one because he has a long contract. Also, besides Henrique, is is Jacob Silverberg. That's a really hard guy to gauge value on too, because he's not necessarily the scorer like Raquel. He can. He does have a nice shot. Haven't really seen it as, as of late. He plays a hell of a defensive game. He's a penalty killer. He's not going to fetch a first. There's no way. Not with that contract. I don't see him fetching a first round pick. Yeah, I think it depends. It, you know, I mean, obviously, it sounds stupid to say it, but like, I, it does depend on what the deal is, right? Like, could you put Silverberg in a, a deal like last year with Kasha? where what you do is you take back a Bacchus to make sure you get that first-round pick. You know, do you just retain a million, a million and a half off the top? I, I don't know. Maybe you do. Um, 
But I think Silverberg is exactly the type of player that a lot of teams would want. You know, he's like you said, he's smart defensively. We know he's got that nice little wrist shot when he, you know, when he gets it off. But other than that, the other thing that I think is important to remember is Silverberg plays better in the playoffs. He does. He produces in the playoffs. He's a wonderful playoff performer. And like, if you're Murray, man, that's the first fucking thing that's got to be out of your mouth in that phone call. It's like, hey, what's up with Silverberg? Oh, you mean the guy who's great in the playoffs? Uh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, Scores no, all he's the time. available. Yeah, but it's going to cost you. You know what I mean? Like, I just think, you know, there. It's interesting because I think you could look at a team like Boston, where he could go and and be a, a contributing member, just because he kind of is going to play that kind of game, that sound game. He's going to play two ways. He's going to maybe get you a couple of goals. I think Florida is always interesting because I don't know what they're doing down there. I don't think they know what they're doing down there, but they're spending a lot of money to be competitive. And they're, well, they spent like you know, as much $2 as they're having a great dollars game, on Bobrovsky. Yeah. You know, <laughs> as much as, um, you know, they're having a great year, I don't know that everyone is convinced that it's sustainable. Um, so that roster on paper is not that good. It's not. It's got a couple of really good players, and sure. what you're hoping is one, you're counting on Quenville, but two, you're counting on Bobrovsky, and he's not pulling his weight, so now you're screwed. You know, you know the Strawman contract was going to be a bad, you know, a year after it was signed, if not the moment it was signed. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, they gave up. Uh, what's the Russian kid? Uh, Trocheck, who I think is actually American, but his name. Yeah, I think uh, Vincent Trocek, but yeah, yeah they traded the him to Carolina. <laughs> um, you know, I just think Silverberg's a weird one because he's and he would be incredibly valuable on almost any team that fashions themselves a legitimate contender. But again, he's carrying a five point three million cap hit for three years after this one. So what do you what do you do to get him off the books? And how much salary are you willing to eat? That's a tough. I, I think he's. You're right, though. You know, I did miss the mark on remembering his uh, his his playoff prowess. Like he was, he's always really good in the playoffs. Ricard Raquel, we haven't really seen a lot of him of that doing that, but we've seen him have great years in the regular season, and he would definitely be a complimentary winger. So the Ducks have the good pieces. If they can get rid of Henry, I think that's the win. But I think they could get a lot of value. Um, from those two wingers for sure. Now, I guess the the final question I have for you to wrap up the trade rumor stuff is do you just burn the whole world down and trade all those guys cuz that's kind of a scary proposition for the guys in Anaheim if you get rid of those <laughs> those three mainstays plus I mean what Henrique was a 26 goal guy last year led the team in points. Ricard Raquel has had over 30 goals. Silverberg like you said can play and is like multifaceted with his skill set. He doesn't just he's not a one-dimensional guy. You get rid of all three of those guys, at least some pretty gaping holes in the lineup. Depending on what you get back. But here's the thing about those holes in the lineup, right? Like, I, like I agree with you that, like, I understand that, like, it significantly lowers the overall competency of the lineup. But there's a number of young kids that you can move in. You're going to, I mean, that clears up cap space. So maybe what you can do is go out and sign some low-end free agents to kind of come in on a one- or two-year deal and fill a hole. Um, you can always go out and make trades. You know what I mean? Things like that with teams before the expansion draft wanting to 
not lose guys for nothing and well, things like, I like said, that. Just I, find a way to get Vinny Trocheck here. I take it. Yeah, exactly. No big deal. <laughs> but like, time. honestly, at this point, for me, the only players over twenty five that I wouldn't trade are Getzloff, Lindholm, and Gibson. That's it. Everybody else, I'm sending out the door. And I have no problem moving Gib- moving on from Getzloff uh, if that's what he wants. But he's has the no movement clause and he's earned the right to decide for himself if that's what he wants everybody else over 25 i'm sorry i appreciate you thanks for the work uh here's a gold watch now i'm here's a plane ticket like i'm sorry that's just it you know i love manson i don't think there's necessarily anything about him that they should feel they have to keep i think fowler has played well the last couple of games like i've been really just sitting there kind of eating crow and just been like wow he like looks like a hockey player these last couple of games get him out the door you know shattenkirk can go raquel can go. like all of them just get rid of all of them because just all you're going to start new. doing yeah is just start opening up room at the top of the roster to start putting these guys in positions to succeed how do you know jacob perot or sam colangelo isn't going to take a huge jump next year they probably aren't but what if they do and you're still sitting there with this same problem of well why do I have so many guys for so few spots? So, so let's talk yeah. about one of the guys that we, amongst the youngsters, we haven't really talked about outside of the trades and all of this stuff. Jimmy Drysdale playing at like really good hockey in the AHL right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was it, uh, oh, forgive me, man, but like a, just a wild day for me at work lately. But on Twitter, did he get moved to the taxi squad and not? Is that yeah? Is that he got happened? brought up to the taxi squad. Yeah. Interesting move. I don't. I still don't think he sees NHL ice. And this I don't think so. Games. I don't think so either. I think they brought him up just to let him, uh, uh, you know, kind of be on the ice and just kind of get maybe get his his feet wet as far as NHL training and stuff like that. But, but nine points in his first eleven games of professional hockey is pretty damn good. So here's the thing. I think they're two separate questions. So I will ask both of them to you. Okay. Do you think he's earned a look at the NHL level? And do you think he will get a look at the NHL level this season? Because I think they're two separate questions. Um, I don't think he needs a look this season. I don't think so. Okay. I think go kill it. Play while you can in the AHL. And should he be in the lineup? Do I think he's better than a couple of guys on the on the roster? Yeah, absolutely, from what I've seen. But we don't know <laughs> when it comes to the, to the. I mean, there's. I mean, definitely, you could look at Larson and say he's an AHL guy. Uh, in my opinion, um, I think he could definitely suit up and play better than Shattenkirk on most nights this season too, just with the way Shattenkirk <laughs> has played. And Shattenkirk is a hell of an NHL player, just having a bad year. Um, deserved is a tough one, man, because. He's a kid, and he, he's just started his professional career, um, and that's a real tough position to play at the NHL level. And it's it's one thing to light up the A, but then to come up to the NHL and and get put on this team, which is just a dumpster fire right now. I don't know if I would do that. Um, do I think he gets a look? I think he does this season, but uh, okay. I, I, deserves a hard one to say, man, because. Damn! If I if I if you're putting me in that position, if if I'm if I'm making that call, I'm not calling him up. I'm not. And the fact that I wouldn't even throw him in the taxi squad, like just go play your game, have a good rest of the year, enjoy it, 
We'll see you at camp, and we'll reassess. I just think this team's too much of a mess to throw a kid into that, and I could be wrong. I mean, Zegers has looked great, but it's a different position too, though. I mean, you sure. go to the NHL and you get walked a few times. I don't know what that does to a kid's confidence. I'm not a coach, but right. that's another no, concern. That's, that's a great point is you, you can move a young center to the wing like they're doing and just let him get the feel for the game. You can't move a defenseman to wing. And where are you going to pair him with, too? Like, you're going to give him somebody you want to be able to help him and shelter him. But the problem is he I, can he can skate better than half the guys uh, uh, that are in the lineup defensively. So there's one answer. There's one answer. Lindholm. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. That, that's that's it. it. <laughs> that's the only guy you put him with, and you're like, yeah, this is going to be okay. I mean, the chat they're saying like, why not bring him up because it's you know this team's going to be a dumpster fire, whatever. It's ju- it's just a different animal, man. It's a different animal being being a young defenseman and. and that's just my opinion. I, I don't call him up this year. Yeah, no, I I don't think that. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think, you know, being a smaller defenseman and being so young, that's that's a lot to put on him so quick. Um, you know, especially with the. Uh, the it sounds like the CHL is going to get back underway, and if that's true. And then he goes I don't back to the why. Otters, right? Right. I don't know why you don't just let him stay down there as long as he can, then let him go and just say, look, next year we're expecting you to make the roster out of camp. But right now what we think is best for you is for you to just keep playing at a high level, uh, being competitive, and you know we'll see you next year, like you said. If they move half the team out at the deadline, Might sure, why not? Maybe they bring him up. <laughs> Give him know? his six games up in the NHL, why not? Yeah. You know, unless they decide to bring Corbini and Holzer back or something. I don't. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> dude, can we not? I don't ever want to see him back in the lineup. I'm sorry. Like, there's there's uh, a place uh, for that guy in a lineup that doesn't look like our lineup. It's just what it is. It's not like they they could they could like put a bottom pair out for ten minutes a night. Like they you can't do this with this roster. You have to play that third pair. I, and then one of them has to be a penalty killer. We've got to have some utility with these guys. Like you can't just, hey, we're going to throw a boat anchor out every night because we have to. Like that's We don't want to purposely do that. When we already had Clayton Stoner on this team years ago, like we don't need anybody in, oh, in, in, like that on the team. You just don't. The line of big physical defensemen that Anaheim cycled through is my favorite. Brian Allen, Clayton Stoner, Mark Fistrick, Sheldon Sore. Um, there's someone else that Sheldon Sorry was a good defender in his day. Sheldon Sorry was great. He was old when we got him, and he busted his hand and, and never was the same. Right, but they brought him in to be a big physical guy and to also have that slap shot. You know what I mean? But like, oh, so to be fair though, to your point, I don't know that it's fair to lump him in there, right? But like, Fishtrick, Allen, Stoner. Uh, there's somebody else in that line that I can't think of who came in, who was on the team right around the same time as Brian Allen was. Mm. And I can't remember who it is. Um, it was a defenseman? Yeah, it was a big cat like that, too. Oh, I can't dude. remember who it was, but it was so funny. <laughs> Everyone's saying, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> also, oh, DB's bringing up all BXA? the guys I love. Yaxa, sure. Robida, Yeah. Oh, poor um, Tony Ludman. The way his career ended was so bad. So bad. Tony Ludman 
was awesome because he was in a death metal band. <laughs> I always loved that he played guitar in a death metal band. Oh my God, Andy Sutton. That's Eric who, okay. Brewer. I was going to say that Andy Sutton. Was Andy Sutton was another big guy. Eric Brewer. I forgot he was yeah. on the team, honestly. But that was right around Dude, the district days. That was right around the district days. Saw, I saw Andy Sutton getting like three fights in one night when he was playing for Bakersfield against Ontario. <laughs> I went to a random Ontario game and he got, in, I'm not kidding, he got in like three fights and I don't think he skated more than 10 to 15 feet all night. Like he just, <laughs> just so funny. He was just so clearly this just old, just physical dude who was just like, I'm There's just here. There's a hit of his where I, I, it looked like he killed somebody. And I believe, I'm going to look it up right now. We're getting way off topic here, but it's it's the end of the show. This is the fun stuff. We get to talk about old school hockey hits. Uh, oh, that's what it is. Hit on- it was hit on Jordan Leopold. If you guys, it was 2010. It was in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. He lined him up like along the boards and just absolutely obliterated him. That was bad. That was a bad, bad hit. It's the first the one that pops on up. Andy Sutton hit. Jordan Leopold comes right up. <laughs> the whiz hit on Brook or Seabrook is a personal favorite of mine. Ooh, yeah, that was dirty. <laughs> great hit. That, was, that was a great hit. And I love when they talk to Wiz after. He's like, I played minors with those guys. I wouldn't try to hurt that. It's like, dude, <laughs> we saw the hit. Like, we know what you were trying you to do. You literally ran I, him through the glass. I appreciate it because it was after he made a big hit, so I get it, and it was still that kind of hockey at that time. But, like, come on, man. We all saw what happened. Dude, yeah, there's no justifying that with any sort of, I didn't mean to. I would never try to hurt somebody. Like, good God, man. Absolute destruction on that one. So good. So, so good. All right, is there any anybody in chat who wants to chime in with a, a question or topic before we sign off for the night we're almost at that hour mark we've got about five minutes left um oh the pronger hit on Dean McCammon in the playoffs mm, I remember that that was the Stanley Cup final the little uh, saying, that's the, the one little, that got little elbow <laughs> dude and McCammon is like Superman on the ice and KO'd and hits the wall <laughs> to be fair that. when you're when you're seven feet tall everybody's at elbow level it was brutal, man. That is so brutal. Well, I'm trying to think of another bit of like other bad hits we've that we've seen. We can go through them. I still think uh, Kevin Sawyer when he cross checked Mike Vernon in the face to start a fight, like skates in, boom, cross checks a guy right in the face, turns around. I don't remember that. Ready to throw down, dude. Yeah, that game is because someone ran Jaguar. So then he comes out and he's like, oh, oh you want to run Jaguar? Now I'm going to run your goalie. Okay. Dude, it's awesome. I love I that kind of hockey. And then I realized <laughs> as I as I was stopped being a kid and I got older, I'm like, oh, those guys are actually really getting hurt. Like, maybe it's not awesome. <laughs> but that's what hockey was. That's what hockey was, dude. That was like the – It was it's just so funny. Just thrash people. Cause we'll, yeah, because well, what was it? It was one of the games – where I can't remember what it was, but it was one of the games and somebody, uh, oh, it was the air, the last Arizona game where Kemper got Oliven, whoever's it was, and started trying to start a fight and all that stuff. And my whole thing was just like, how do you not run that goalie the very next play? <laughs> <laughs> just the truck next him. Game against, yeah. But then the next game against Vegas, they're in the crease and they get a free whack and Hazy's on the broadcast. Oh, they got to make him pay for that. And I'm like, yeah, you can't Do let it. him hit yes. your goal. 
and you I'm do, just like, like oh the, my uh, god, dude, I have, I have such bad Brian Burke brain. Like it's just, it's just a little angry Canadian dude in my head yelling at me all the time to just hit people. It's not <laughs> great. So. Uh, Shadow Ops Gaming 13 says, if the Ducks lost 12 in a row this season, does something happen? No. Yeah, they lose 13. They, yeah, they probably, yeah. Maybe that's what it is. I can't see there being a major change. Um, when's the trade deadline? That's that's something. April 12. Okay. How, wow, it feels like it's really far away. Yeah, it does. That feels that's really far away. why I know it away. is because normally it's in February, and it's so weird that it's right around the time the season would normally be ending. Yeah, and that's way past the halfway mark. We're at twenty-two games. Fifty-six games is the half is, is a total season. So that's yeah, pretty I think far there's, out there. I think it's like fourteen games left after the trade deadline. So it's way at the back end. Let's see. Critical dates. April twelfth. Wow, really hundred percent. If if the Ducks break the consecutive loss streak, we might have to do something involving shots. Yeah, that's what Lowry asked in chat. I think we should. That'll be good. Yeah. I think Eddie would have a problem with this decision. but uh, Well, he's not here, so we can just make him do it. Oh, we he's definitely in chat. He was saying he wants Connor Garland earlier. He heard me talking trash about his uh, his light situation. He said, yeah, he was, he was all for it. Um so yeah, what is what do people in chat think? If the Ducks do, then uh the consecutive loss record, we're doing shots, or what are we gonna do? Shots of NyQuil. Wow, that doesn't sound very safe. Um <laughs> the Dennis Leary special right there, man. So if you look at this, April twelfth, there are eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, sixteen games this month. That is way, way into the season. And then they're going to get all the way into April. Then there's another four, five, six games. They play on the trade deadline. That's also very wild to me that, that there's uh, going to be guys that are moving around. They put the Sharks on April 12th. <laughs> so, you know what I'm really curious to see is based on quarantine, how many big trades happen about a week to a week and a half before the deadline? And at the deadline, how many <clears throat> trades happen between teams in the same division? Because they're going to have to quarantine. Which is, yep. Yeah, because normally it's a big no-no, right? Oh, we don't want to send that guy in division. He could come back to haunt us. I don't know that if a guy's going to miss, you know, five, six games once I get him that I want to pay any kind of premium asset to get him in. So maybe if you want to get good assets either direction, you really are looking at bringing them into the division. I think April 1st would have been the best trade deadline day. They should have just done that. <laughs> or if they make it that this year, because it's like it's almost two weeks away. So, like, yeah, April 1st is the day we're going to trade everybody. Oh, dude. I just – the NHL is not self-aware enough to have fun and make 4-1 <laughs> the trade deadline. It's also criminal to have players have to suit up for a game on days that they're going to get traded. Like, actually have a deadline day where no one plays. Would probably be a great thing to not have anyone suiting up. I don't know. Oh, why they should they probably done it. make it like a three-day cut where they give you just nobody plays for about two or three days leading up. You know, the day after, the day before, and the day of the deadline. I think that's a much better way to do it. I do think you're right. I think it's a terrible thing uh, 
having to go in knowing you might get pulled in the middle of the game. You know, like there was a story about the Clippers five or six years ago where the they were they had the jet to fly to the game in New York and they were just sitting on the tarmac waiting to find out if a trade was going through or not because the guy was going to have to get on the plane and it ended up not going through but still everybody's sitting there for like an hour waiting like is this a thing like what's going on and i just think you know i i think it's obviously it's a it's a privilege to be able to play professional sports and all that stuff but like there's certain parts of it that just seem way unnecessary Greg wasinski had a really fun idea for trade deadline day no one plays it was, it was either him or it was down goes Brown. It was on it was on um, it was on Puck Soup. Not this year, maybe sometime last year or the year before. Even but they were they were talking about it, and it was something like, "Did no one plays?" And they do a whole TV event on it, and they have like cameras and interviews. Oh, where they put everybody they in put a room. Everyone in a room. Where it's like a war room with all thirty-two NHL teams. And they're all like make it like a TV show, like an event, like for three or four hours. That's way more interesting than yeah. four hours of like no trades happening, and then the last fifteen minutes everything happens. Like, yeah, make a production out of it, do something. But like you said, and, and I, I think we've all kind of said it over, over the course of of any length of time we've been a fan is like this league is just so don't want to rattle any feathers, don't want to be too different, don't want to make anything too fun because we might get made fun of. What if it doesn't work? And then like everything they do. It's just like a calamity. Like the outdoor game at Lake Tahoe, totally mm-hmm. awesome idea. Totally awesome. You didn't predict the sun was coming out? <laughs> Were you not there for days? Were you not there for days setting up? It's you didn't the think the sun, sun was going to be out? You never know what it's going to do. Some That's days it's there, some days it's not. You never, it's the sun. It's not the most constant thing in our existence at this point. It's unbelievable to me, man. The, that that whole thing was just unbelievable. Like you have a chance, like the most bitching outdoor event you could have possibly had, minus the fans. The fans there would have been cool, but mm-hmm. the scene there is amazing. It's like true pond hockey style. It was gorgeous. Nine hours between I goals. Was so <laughs> cynical going into that game, and the moment that it hit the TV, I was like, "Oh yeah, no, this is badass. Oh, it's perfect. This is perfect." Um, you know. So I do just do something fun. NHL is what we're saying. Do something fun. Make it fun. Yeah, for be everybody. interesting. Five seconds. But I think that's it for us tonight. We hit the hour mark, and uh, Eddie turns into a pumpkin if we go too much longer because he's three hours ahead. It's two a.m. and he's still gonna have to uh, <laughs> stop and help us out with the audio portion of the show and upload it to uh, Blue Wire Pods. So everybody, thank you guys for coming out and listening to us chat. Uh, the game was a bummer at the end, but it was fun uh, for moments, and uh, we'll be seeing you guys on Wednesday. Have a great night. Bye, everybody.